Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 of the Pitched Contact Podcast, part of the Twins Talk Network. I'm your host, Ben Jones, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, John Ka. John, how are you doing today? Well, I'm doing a lot better because the Twins managed to figure out how to win a win a series. Uh, yeah, we, we picked a good week to take off. I think we missed a lot of the uh, angst that was going on around the fan, fan yep. base for the most part. But it's not exactly better this week. They just happened to win a couple more of the games. Hey, you know what? At this point, all I care about is the fact is if we can play 500 or or slightly better than 500 baseball, because apparently that's still enough to lead in the AL Central. Um, Yeah, I mean, I try. It's really easy, I think, as Twins fans in, you know, June and July when there's not a lot of other stuff that is... uh, that is taking up our time, right? Like uh, yeah. in August and September, people are starting to think a little bit more about football. April, May, you know, hopefully you got some deep runs from from basketball and the hockey teams. But June, July, when you can only think about the Twins and how just average and mediocre they are, I think that's when the pessimism truly starts coming out. Um, but I'm I'm trying to remain optimistic about this team. Yeah, I am trying. It's getting harder and harder with each passing game. Uh, but as they say, a win is a win. So we'll we'll take the wins where we can get them. And this week was a winning week. So uh, let's start by giving you this weekly snapshot for uh, the week of the Twins. So they went four and three. They split a series versus the Red Sox, which was relatively good after losing the first two against them. Uh, and then one against the Tigers winning Friday and then uh, in extra innings and then winning again Sunday in extra innings. Uh, they're 40 and 39 for the season. They are still first in the AL Central. And I'm, we're just going to stop putting this update at this point, but they're still the only team in the AL Central without a losing record. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Guardians are a game and a half back. They're two games under, I believe, or maybe a game under at this point. But uh, the, there's no reason to keep track of if any team in the AL Central is over 500 because it's looking like uh, 80 wins might be enough to get it done. I, I sincerely hope not. But I, I mean, I guess, I guess it might be fine if the Twins are the team with 80 wins and win the series, win the division. We've we've been saying the exact same thing all year, which is like eventually the Twins are going to get hot. Eventually the Guardi- Guardians are going to get hot. Well, we're about halfway through the season and neither one has. So yeah, yeah. it's it's kind of it, at this point, you know, the, there's no point in being embarrassed about being the worst division in the AL Central. Uh, we we have reached the, the stage of acceptance, and um, <laughs> and I think I think we're all okay with that. Yeah, we, we might feel a little bit differently next week after playing the Braves and Orioles, but for now we'll accept it and we'll we'll move on. Yeah, it was it was a little bit of a fun sequence a couple of weeks ago when uh, the Royals were the worst team in the uh, in the American League, uh, but now they are two games above the Athletics, so um, uh, all is well in AL Central Land. As, as long as we don't have the worst team in the league, I think we, we can feel a little bit okay about ourselves. Yeah, I, I think around that around that same time, the Royals were the worst, and then the A's were the second worst, and then the third. Uh, fourth and fifth worst were the non-Twins and Guardians uh, yeah. AL Central teams, I believe. So, yeah, I truly, truly stuff. love playing in this division. It's great. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the games. Let's start with uh, a little bit of bad stuff against the Red Sox. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we had a pretty terrible uh, week the week before, and then we decided, hey, let's lay a couple more eggs, and game one <laughs> was just a beautiful reminder of how awful this team is sometimes. It was a 9-3 loss. Pablo Lopez was the pitcher of note, 5.2 innings, six hits, four earned runs, three walks, and nine strikeouts. 
honestly, it's just a lot of good and bad with this start. What was the good part? He was getting whips. He was getting strikeouts. The changeup was really, really solid, actually. Uh, it, it had taken a little bit of a disappearance in a couple couple starts before, but it was back on this one. Of course, the bad was uh, really poor command. Uh, he ended up walking in a run, which is just not what you love to see from a guy who should be the ace of your rotation. I believe it was yeah. also a four-pitch walk, so really just nothing good there. Um, and he was... I, I would hesitate to say unlucky, but he was giving up extra base hits with men on base, which, you know, kind of pushed up that earned uh, earned run number. It was actually, he ended up doing, I believe it was five runs, just four of them were earned. Um, he was a little unlucky with the hits off the curveball. The ones that kind of gave up were outside the zone, uh, which is kind of good good hitting from uh, from the Red Sox. Really, his only true mistake was um, a changeup that he gave up to Jaron Duran, who was, ended up having a three-for-three three night with three doubles, so... Red Sox were hot in this one. Um, it was kind of unfortunate too because they had literally just played a two a double header the day before, yeah. then traveled to Minnesota. So it should have been kind of like a scheduled loss, so to speak. But um, yeah, they, Pablo Lopez just wasn't able to take advantage of, of that situation. Another interesting thing here was he opted more for throwing his curveball more than the slider by a pretty big margin. Um, the slider, he just hasn't been able to get anything to bite on that. It hasn't really been a great pitch for him the past couple starts. So he's mixing up a little bit, trying some new stuff, seeing what happens. Um, but ultimately ended at a start that was really good and really bad at the same time. Yeah, this is kind of what we've been seeing from Pablo a lot recently of – you know, there, there's some good things here. Nine strikeouts uh, in less than six innings. That's great, right? But the walks, especially the bases loaded walk, like you were saying, um, it's just he hasn't really had a start where he's put it all together really since those first three or four starts to begin the season. And so it would be nice to just see another one or two of those spread throughout here, especially when Luis Arise is over there hitting 400 for the Marlins. And yeah. I'm going to say this right now. This is the last time I'm going to bring up Luis Arise. The trade is done. It's over. He's doing great on the Marlins. I hope he, he has a lot of success. I don't want to sit here and just be like, oh, Luis Arise would have changed this lineup. He wouldn't have. One no. player getting hitting 400 isn't going to score you runs. A, a so. player hitting 400 where like 80% of the hits are singles and probably batting leadoff, so that means no one's on base. Like, that doesn't help this team. Like, as no. much as we like to complain about the fact that, oh, this team can't hit, yada, like, adding a 400 hitter maybe results in one more run per game, which, honestly, for the Twins is pretty solid at this point. <laughs> but, like, let's be honest, like, you need the entire team to be hitting better, not just one guy. So Right. The, the, Luis Arise wasn't going to fix this entire offense. Lamont Wade wasn't going to fix this entire offense. Brent Rooker wasn't going to fix this entire offense. Those players are gone. They're not Minnesota Twins. And I'm tired of every time I go on social media seeing some Twins fan complain about um, oh, Luis Rise did this. I can't believe it. This is a horrible trade. It's right. really not. I still think it's a pretty even trade, yeah. even with Pablo not pitching as good as he did at the if beginning. We, of the if season. we really want to, you know, talk semantics, and you know, I, I know this isn't the right way to do stats because Lord knows it's not. <laughs> More than forty percent of Pablo Lopez's starts have been better than fine. So, <laughs> if you really want to go there, like, hey, I think it's working out pretty well, but. Um, <laughs> I yeah I digress. Like uh, the trade is what it is, right? It's yeah. it's awesome that both players are doing well, and I think uh, I think that's it. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the uh, disappointing offense in this game. Yeah. So um, of course, noted uh, offense 
offensive all-star of this team, Christian Vasquez, um, with his three-run homer in the fifth, which was the only runs of the night. His and, first homer of the year. He finally hit one. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, of course, against his former team, so probably a little bit of a revenge factor in there, at least. Um, but uh, the nice thing here, too, or maybe not nice thing, was that the back half of the lineup was the productive one. Uh, seven uh, seven hits, I think, out of seven hits that the Twins had, five of them came from the back half of the lineup. Um, and, of course, then that means players like Correa and Buxton and Kirilov uh, pretty much didn't do much on Monday. And uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a consistent theme throughout uh, this week, I think, and really for the twin season, which is as Cray and Buxton go, so do the twins. If Cray and Buxton are hitting, that means the offense is probably in a good shape. Uh, if they're not, then the offense probably isn't, and they end with a 9-3 loss. Yeah. Well, of course, the next game wasn't anything better. It was a 10-4 loss. Bailey Ober took the bump, six innings, eight hits, three earned runs, four strikeouts. Um, he did give up two solo homers, but other than that, was kind of able to keep the game pretty close. None of his stuff was really working that well in terms of striking guys out. Obviously, only finished with four strikeouts, but he was able to limit damage from the balls in play. Uh, for example, on his changeup, he gave up seven balls of play, but they all ended up in outs. So, you know, even though the stuff wasn't getting whiffs or called strikes, when it was getting hit, it wasn't really doing that much damage. So, um, you know, good thing there for the most part. Uh, the bats were kind of the the really quiet part of this lineup because it was a 10-0 game, I believe, by the seventh inning. Yeah. Um, and the Red Sox sent in Corey Kluber basically for like a three-inning save, which I thought was interesting. Um, but they did a little bit of damage uh, in, in, those, in the eighth and the ninth inning. Buxton, Royce Lewis, Max Kepler all homered. Some interesting notes here. Buxton pretty much hadn't had a hit since the Toronto series prior to before he went on IL. So he literally yeah. like hadn't had a hit in like two weeks. Um, Kepler had been one for 12 in his last six appearances, both when he started in the outfield and came in as a pinch hitter. So both of those guys were at least able to get the monkeys off their back. But of course, it's kind of tough to rally from a 10-0 deficit. Yeah, it's tough to rally from a 10-0 deficit. All of this came off of Coy Kluber, who is a former Cy Young winner, but is a current not very good pitcher. Um, so, you know, that's not great, but the good news is this did get Buxton out of his slump, which I think helped him quite a bit. And then, you know, he's very up and down, but Lewis and Kepler as well. Kepler had his first good week in two months, yeah. uh, basically mm -hmm. stemming from the start of this and then carried throughout the rest of the week. And then Royce Lewis as well, where, you know, still the batted ball data that you see with him isn't great, but he's putting the ball in play. He's getting hits. He's not striking out. I don't think he's walked in like i think he has like two walks the entire time he's been up but again anything to get life out of the offense is a good sign mm -hmm. uh, of course then uh this 10-4 uh loss was mostly courtesy of brent hedrick um he gave up five runs in the seventh inning and so that pretty much doomed the twins immediately um <laughs> Uh, so yeah, there really wasn't much to talk about here in terms of reliever performance because it just really sucked. Um, and it is what it is. I mean, Brent Hedrick's not exactly a guy who, you know, you're expecting to shut down the other side. Obviously he spent a majority of the season in AAA anyway. So, yeah. um, he was more of kind of a late call up than, than really a guy who they wanted to insert in there, but it was a low leverage situation because they were already down like three zero essentially. So, um, I, th I think they were down like four or five four, at that point, weren't they? Uh, I thought Brent Hedrick came in immediately after Ober. 
Either, either way, I think the big thing here, the main thing they wanted from Hedrick was to eat up some innings, and he couldn't. Yes. And that 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 was the bigger deal, where there weren't any off days coming up in the schedule. You really wanted him to at least get to ideally three or four and finish out the game. Uh, but he he had to leave after the one, giving up five runs. Right. Yeah. So yeah, he came in when it was three zero, gave up okay. five runs, and then of course. A random call up of the week, Oliver Ortega, who I wasn't even aware was in the Twins organization, uh, came in and pitched one inning, gave up two runs. So, um, yeah. And then we got to see in a little appearance from Willie Castro, who, of course, was the only pitcher to throw a scoreless inning. Naturally. Yeah. Uh, we, we were joking on our Twinkie Town game thread that, uh, you know, they hit the Buxton. Lewis and Kepler homers back to back to back, I believe. Mm -hmm. And we were like, okay, great. Just like eight more of those. And then we have winning pitcher Willie Castro on the scorecard, which would be great. (laughs) That would have been a lot of fun to see. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, game three, then this is where it started to turn around. It was a five, four victory. Uh, Of course, in extra innings, as we mentioned, Sonny Gray was the starting pitcher, Uh, five innings with six hits, three earned runs, two walks and five strikeouts. Pretty much another laboring start for Sonny. Um, I mean, we obviously missed last week, but the week before, kind of the big story was Rocco pulled him out of the game. They had a little bit of a heated conversation in the dugout. Uh, basically, Sonny has not been that great. Um, he really couldn't get anything going with his curveball, which has kind of been his signature pitch. No whiffs on it at all. Kind of the overall thing with Sonny is that he's been struggling with command. He's got a 9.4% walk rate on the season. That's good for 20, the 26th percentile for starters. Uh, which is not a good number. Um, he also has his highest whip uh, since 2018 when he was with the Yankees. Um, so he's just really struggling with kind of preventing base runners. Um, and honestly, a lot of us probably were hoping for something better from him coming out of that April where he was electric. Yeah. And at the end of the month, I think like, you know, a lot of, a lot of news outlets were, you know, putting him in, in the early running for Ail Cy Young Um but then since then, May and June have been really tough. He's had a 3.9 ERA and a 1.47 whip in those two months. Um, and it just has not been pretty for Sonny Gray. Yeah, the the whip is the biggest thing that concerns me because basically he's he's been getting pretty lucky, right? Where he's getting into some real trouble this third time through the order. He's been able yep. to wriggle out of it a few times. He's been able to be bailed out by the bullpen, but it could be significantly worse. So yeah, he only has that 3.9 ERA, which isn't that bad uh, since then. But really since April, that third time through the order is what's almost always come back to bite him. And that's that was the deal with him last year too. If he was really, really good those first two times, then by the time you get to the third, um, he's getting hit around, he's walking guys. And, you know, he's been very vocal about how he wants to stay deep into games. He wants that chance to pitch the third time. And frankly, he just hasn't pitched well enough to earn that right at this point, especially where the Twins offense is, where every run really matters uh, for the pitching staff. Right. And it's kind of weird, too, because if you look at his season stats, he's a 2.56 ERA, which is good for 10th among all starting pitchers. But you realize a lot of that is buoyed by the fact that he had a 0.77 ERA in April, right? So March, uh, May and June, excuse me, just haven't been that pretty. Um, And I don't think it's a, it's kind of weird because his, his stuff hasn't necessarily been, well, the stuff hasn't been good, but there hasn't been anything to indicate why it's been poor. Um, So like there isn't any sort of indication of injury or anything like that. He just is just struggling. 
Um, yeah. So hopefully he's able to get that mojo back a little bit. Yeah, I think that this is also just a big couple months for Sonny coming up where he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. The Twins have an open spot for him in the rotation if they decide they want to retain him. But even if they don't, he's going to make his money here or he's not. And mm-hmm. so if he wants something more than a two-year deal, which he probably does at this point in the, his career, this is his last chance to get that big contract to finish out his career. Um, he's going to need to look more like April. Obviously, there's no way he's going to have a 0.77 ERA the rest of the way. But if you can settle somewhere in the middle, you know, three, three, five, and get the whip down so that you're not pitching around so much danger all the time, he'll set himself up well, obviously, and the Twins will be in a much better spot too. Right. And it doesn't help too. You know, he's at 92 pitches at the end of the fifth. Like, yeah, you're not going off for the six with that high of a pitch count. So exactly. Being able to bring able to bring that whip down just means you're going to have a better pitch count as the innings go along. Exactly. Uh, for the bats here, of course, there that was kind of the story of the game for this one. Um, they got some early runs thanks to some poor defensive play and good base running in the first inning. So uh, it was good to see maybe for the twins and us fans at least that they were getting lucky a little bit so to speak um but yeah got some good runs thanks to some singles at the middle and uh, just some poor defense from the tigers uh kepler had his second homer in two days as the to put the twins up four three in the sixth um and then eventually the tigers did tie it up um in the eighth i believe um I'll, we'll talk about that a little bit uh but then in extras farmer had a walk-off single in the 10th but of course, there was a little bit of controversy here because right before that, Michael E. Taylor um, bunted a ball down the first base line. And then it looked like to me, at least, that he beat out the pitcher to first. Uh, but then the, the Ums had a replay. They ultimately decided, no, he was out. Uh, thankfully, though, the runners did advance to second and third base. And then Farmer ended up hitting a bloop to kind of short center, uh, and then it, which ended up scoring Willie Castro. Yeah, the the Michael A. Taylor play. It wasn't even just that he beat the runner to first. The runner never, or the pitcher never, never even touched the bag. He never yeah. tagged Taylor until after Taylor touched the bag. And so there, there was like no way Michael A. Taylor should have been out. They yeah. looked at it on replay. They called him out anyway. To which I would say, again, like I did a couple of weeks ago, what's the point of having replay if it's going to be wrong anyway? Right. <laughs> and so it's just yeah. it, it's pointless. It luckily didn't matter. Kyle Farmer uh, got his second walk-off hit of the year, I believe. Uh, so yes. that, that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it's, it's good that we didn't get robbed at least. So yeah, that was nice. Um, but yeah, like I mentioned, the, the Tigers tied up in the eighth cause they, uh, had an RBI deal from Tristan Cassis, who was having a decent, uh, rookie season, um, off Yon Duran, but he also went two innings. He was able to preserve the tie in the ninth. So at, at least it was good to see that Rocco still had a little bit. Well, I guess technically Rocco didn't have, uh, wasn't making the decisions at that point uh, to keep Durant in the game because he did get thrown out uh, from this game. <laughs> he was chirping the up when Gallo had a called strike. And I thought that was uh, that was a little hilarious. Yeah, was, uh, Jace Tingler uh, was making his salary this week thanks to a couple of Rocco ejections. <laughs> yeah. so. Yeah, the second one, in my opinion, was even funnier, but we'll talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that one was good. Yeah. Uh, game four, uh, a little bit of a historic start here. It was a 6-0 victory, uh, mainly because Joe Ryan went nine innings with three hits, zero earned runs with nine strikeouts and 112 pitches. And this was the first complete game shutout for the Twins since April 1st of 2018, and the first nine-inning complete game for a Twins pitcher since June 7th of the same year, meaning that it had been 1,841 days since the last time a Twins pitcher went nine innings, which 
was the uh, leading active streak in the major league. So finally, we have broken that. Yeah, thank goodness. Uh, John, let me ask you two questions about this. Number one, yeah. do you know who threw the last Twins complete game shutout? Oh, it's Jose Barrios. Correct. Do you know who threw the last one before Jose Barrios? Uh, it was uh, Smell Baseball, Irvin Santana. Uh, incorrect. Oh, it no, was Bartolo was it? Colon. It was Bartolo? Oh, yes. <laughs> Bartolo Big Colon. sexy. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, and like his last good start basically as a major leaguer. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I didn't realize it was Bartolo. That's, that's hilarious. Yeah. So um, some, some good trivia there for you. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, Jose Barrios was also the last twins pitcher to throw just a night inning complete game. Um, so, you know, Jose Barrios turns out was a little bit of a historic twins pitcher because after we got rid of him, we, uh, the pitching kind of just couldn't go the distance anymore until now, until now. Exactly. Yeah. Joe Ryan's <laughs> actually like, like the he had some a couple rocky starts, but it's good to see him turn it around, get stuff going. Mainly because his fastball is like somehow finding itself again. Um, he threw it sixty seven percent of the time in this start, and the Red Sox pitchers just basically could do nothing against it, despite having seen it that many times, which was probably most impressive. And a lot of people were tweeting about this. Uh, you know, a lot of the baseball uh, writers and um, were saying, you know, in the in the ninth inning, he was facing you know the top of the top of the order for the Red Sox, and he was just like. Eh, doesn't matter. I'll throw 13 fastballs and yeah. was able to get them all out. And so just really impressive from him being able to use that pitch really effectively. Um, despite the fact that I think a lot of people, if, you know, if they just looked at that pitch, it's like it's a 90, like low 90s fastball, but he's somehow doing just a ton of damage with it. Yeah, it's that funky delivery. It's got some weird movements, got a lot of deception. And this game, it was basically only his fastball and a splitter, period. Yep. Mm-hmm. He threw two sliders and they gave up a hit on one of them and pretty much abandoned it from there out. It helped also that the Twins went up early. And so he's like, oh, I'm just going to pump some strikes in there, yeah. uh, keep getting guys out. And it worked. The Red Sox couldn't uh, keep up with him. Yeah, it was actually really impressive. Like the fastballs up, splitters down, like just that. that is usually a, a good um, – yeah. A good plan for success and it worked out really well for this one of course like you mentioned uh he got a lot of run support which you know we should be expecting every joe ryan start anyways <laughs> um correa and buxton both homered in the first inning buxton added another solo shot in the third and obviously a lot of people were getting nuts crazy about this one because buxton's both of his homers went over 460 feet which is the first time that's been done since uh, i looked it up 2013 i think mike napoli was the last guy to do it yeah um, but in the stat cast era so to speak since 2015 when you know, they started installing all these cameras and getting better data. It's been the first time that's ever been done since 2015. Um, and so, you know, good for him. Actually, no one, I think the, there's been like four other guys, I think, who's done it, who's hit two 450-foot homers plus homers um, in a game. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Buxton's showing off a little bit of that strength. Yeah, nice to see Buxton hit and Correa, like we were saying, as they go, that's how the rest of the lineup goes, uh, which means I don't think either of them got a hit outside of their home runs for the rest of the game and no other runs were really scored. They got the runs early and just kind of looked like them their old selves after that, which is a little discouraging, I think, um, despite the, the early lead. But, uh, you know, if Joe Ryan's going to throw a complete game shutout every time he pitches, who cares? Yeah, I'll, I'll take that as a, as a trade-off. One other thing I want to say about uh, Joe Ryan here before we move on, uh, I, I think there's a good chance he's uh, the Twins representative at the All-Star game. Uh, Sonny Gray might get it just because of the name recognition. And, you know, if you're not watching it, the numbers still look pretty good for Sonny. And so 
but but Joe Ryan, I think, is more deserving at this point. He has a 2.98 ERA, 100 strikeouts in 93 innings. His WHIP is 0.907, and so you know th- those are pretty elite numbers. Especially again that he's basically doing it with two pitches. We talked before the season about how if Joe Ryan wanted to take the next step, the next step was developing some sort of secondary pitch. And he really has this year with the splitter. He was basically fastball only last year. The splitters become really good. The slider still needs some work, but uh, for now, fastball slitter splitter is uh, getting it done. Yeah. There, I mean, there's definitely an argument that he is a top five pitcher in the American league. Um, I don't know if he's, like securely in that position because there are yeah. a lot of other great pitchers ahead of him. Garrett Cole, Luis Castillo, um, Gaussman, even though we've we've been able to do pretty decently against him in the in twins games. Trevor Valdez is, you know, one of the really elite guys down in Houston. But he's yeah. definitely, you know, knocking on the door in terms of being one of those top uh top top pitchers in the american league well and just from the all-star perspective too the twins have to send somebody yeah. uh mm-hmm. if required and so it's basically gray ryan or john duran who right. will be there uh and i i think i, I had a big eye opening this week with our uh, sb nation chat that we have um there's somebody that was talking about oh wow jordan hicks he's sitting 101 with his fastball that's crazy you know he's mm-hmm. throwing it so hard and i'm like have you guys not heard of john duran and yeah. how sits <laughs> Easily 102, typically 103. Most right. times he's out there and everybody's yep. like, what? No, that's crazy. And I'm just like, I was blown away that these people that cover baseball are paid money to cover baseball don't know who John Duran is. And so I, there just might not be the name recognition there for him to become an all-star. If yeah. there was, I think he's pretty easily the Twins representative. But if not him, then Gray or Ryan. Right. It's tough because, and I'm just pulling this up, like he only has 10 saves on the season. Yeah. Um, Emmanuel Classe, who... Obviously, as the Guardians closer has got 23, um, which is partially because when the Twins win, they win by so much that there isn't a save situation. Right. Um, and so you you do have these like elite, like two inning performances from Duran where he's shutting down an offense or, you know, able to to do really incredible stuff with his pitches. But he just isn't piling up the counting stats that everyone yeah else is is uh piling up and so yeah it's, it's easy to kind of forget that he in terms of his stuff is you know one of the most dominant pitchers but he just doesn't have the counting stats for show for him to show for it but he, go, he goes viral every time he pitches because it's like can you imagine trying to hit a fastball at 103 a splitter at 101 and then that f- crazy curveball at 89 yeah. that just drops out of the zone right exactly. um anyway so i think it should be duran i don't think the twins are going to get more than one and so most likely will end up being sunny gray who i think is the least deserving of the three but that's all right fair enough hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's talk about the series versus Detroit. John, let's start with game one. Yeah, this was a 4-1 victory. Uh, notable because it was the return of Kenta Maeda. He went five innings with three hits, two walks, eight strikeouts, over 83 pitches. This is probably the best uh, best start that we probably could have seen from Maeda coming back from IL. Yeah. 
Um, the, the stuff was working really well for him. His slider, his splitter, and the four-seamer were all on point, especially the splitter and the four-seamer. Uh, those were getting whips and called strikes, and he was able to set up really well um, with, between the you know the changeup and, and, the, and the fastball. The slider was probably a little bit too much in the zone for it to be that effective, but he did get seven called strikes with it. So yeah. you know maybe there's a little bit of deception there with how he's knowing that that pitchers aren't immediately able to recognize it and it's able to you know drop in the zone for a strike. It's the only concern here. I think is if is if the Twins are going to let him go past the mid eighties in terms of his pitch count for the rest of the season. Um, that's one of those things where I I really don't anticipate Maeda going more than. 90 if he touches 100 pitches you know like clearly something's wrong right. with the bullpen i think right. um and that makes it difficult because like we talked about with sunny gray you know when you when you only give your starters when your starters can only give you know five innings or even four innings you know if it's maybe a little bit of a rougher start it really puts pressure on your bullpen to perform well and thankfully the bullpen did do well in this game um but it was just a part of those things where i'm, I'm curious what they're going to do with with maeda for the rest of the season because varlin on the other hand uh, who was the guy that might have replaced is a guy who you can usually rely on going six innings, um, even though the stuff might not be as electric as Maeda. Yeah, Var- Varland had a handful of really rough starts. His ERA True. ballooned up, yep. uh, which kind of made this decision easy. Okay, let's send Varland down, let him get tweak a few things in AAA. I'm sure he'll pitch again with the Twins at some point this year. Uh, the, the other thing here with Kenta is he looked good, but he looked good against the Tigers, who... Yep. I think have a guy hitting like 150 in their five hole. And so um, it's, you got to take it with a grain of salt. And as it stands right now, uh, Kenta's next start is set to be Wednesday against the Braves. Mm-hmm. I would be shocked if Kenta Maeda is starting that game. I think both between uh, Joe Ryan's 112 pitch performance and then having Kenta in line there, uh, the twins would be smart to either bring up somebody for a spot start or have a bullpen game in there for game two, just to push everybody back, give Maeda and Ryan a little bit extra rest and for Maeda, just have them avoid that Atlanta offense that is far and away the best offense in the league. Right. Um, the twins, uh, the twins did say that they were going to keep to a five day schedule for Maeda, but like you said, this is actually that that start against Atlanta is rounding up basically a, a two week stretch where they didn't get a single day off. Um, yeah, they technically did get one off last Saturday when they had the bullpen game, but it would um, no, it would not be surprising if yeah one of these games they they do take off just to give a little bit extra rest for for those for these guys. Yeah, definitely. And then that would set up Maeda to pitch against Baltimore in Kansas City, which is pretty sick. But yeah, it'll be a lot better than Atlanta. Yeah, just just a little bit. Uh, the bats here helped out, made, of course, with a 4-1 victory. Uh, Royce Lewis and Max Keller both had homers in the second inning. Uh, like you mentioned, Keller's just kind of on a nice hot streak um, in yeah. regards to getting RBIs and homers. Of course, the highlight here, I think, was just the sixth catch by the random dad on the Royce, Royce Lewis <laughs> homer. Yeah. Just, just barehanded the ball, just carrying a baby in, in one hand, and then just, uh, just stuck up his arm and got the, got the ball in the other, so... Uh, good for that guy. Yeah, every every dad's dream is making that exact catch with the baby in yeah, one arm. So. Exactly. <laughs> uh, of course, nothing else to speak about here, uh, which is kind of annoying because we were facing Joey Wentz, um, who isn't exactly a great pitcher. But yeah. as we learned from the last time that we played the Tigers, um, we can m- basically make any of these average pitchers look like Cy Young candidates. Yeah, definitely. There, there was. Uh... 
The Wentz's last start was also against the Twins. Again, that was on the week that we missed here. But yep. he had an ERA over seven coming in, and then he had a yeah. no-hitter through five against the Twins. So, um, yeah, Twins are just unparalleled in their ability to make nobodies look excellent. Exactly. And, you know, we, we tease this a little bit, but, of course, this game, Rocco got thrown out again. Uh, he was chirping from the dugout this time at the ump because, uh, basically, he felt that Wentz was not getting set um, before he uh, – through the ball and, and basically should have been called for a balk, um, which I don't know. Like, I don't know baseball's like rules that well. So I'm sure if Rocco is seeing something, I, I believe him. But yeah. at the same time, I thought it was just like a funny reason to get thrown out. Um, and then he, yeah. didn't, he didn't really pitch as much of a fit this time around. Yeah, he it was very funny because he got thrown out and then he came out and was like very calmly explaining yep. what was going on. Right. <laughs> yeah. and, and the other thing was there was since it's Detroit, there weren't that many fans there. There were some uh, mics that were picking up a lot of the conversations. You could hear the ump literally going, Rocco, that's enough. I'm not going to hear it. And then yeah. Rocco kept going. And so he throws Rocco out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, it it looked like it was a pretty clear balk to me. And then you combine that with there was a pretty bad uh, called third strike on Michael A. Taylor mm-hmm. when that was clearly ball four. Yeah. Th- this whole game, uh, was this the game also that uh, Gallo got thrown out of and the assistant hitting coach yeah, got, thrown hitting coach got thrown out yeah, too. yeah exactly yeah. There, it was a pretty bad strike zone where they were getting very low calls all games and to be fair it was happening both ways the twins yeah. got a few of them as well but yeah yeah it was a pretty bad strike zone yeah uh, i know so this yeah. entire series actually has been a pretty bad strike zone so um just yeah great great start to the tigers <laughs> twins i mean i'm sure i'm sure mlb is setting the cream of the crop to umpire a tigers twin series in detroit so yeah exactly yeah so definitely <laughs> You know, top tier umps right here um, at this game. Uh, game two was a 3-2 loss here. Pablo Lopez was the starting pitcher with six innings, seven hits, three earned runs, one walk, and ten strikeouts. It's kind of funny. I, I don't know. It's it's It was a good start in terms of his stuff, right? It's the second start where he's relied on the curve more than the slider. It's because it was doing really well. So why not? You know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, the fastball and the curve combined. Um, pretty much kind of took care of a lot of his strikeouts. Uh, unfortunately here, the changeup did too, too much, which in his last start, it was this part and eh, not that great. I think it had two called strikes and that was it. No whiffs. Uh, there was a couple defensive miscues in the second when all three runs were scored. Julian kind of double clutched on a, on a play where he wasn't, he got the ball at second, got the guy out for the force out, but then kind of double clutched and then couldn't get the ball to first in time. And then there was a couple of few pop flies to the short outfield that couldn't be fielded. There was a grounder that kind of that Julian tried to go for that was to the left of the second base bag. So he was he obviously because of the new rules, he's situated over to the right side. I think he was closer than Correa, but I wasn't 100 percent sure when I saw the replay. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, he died for the ball was out of his reach. Nothing you could do about that. But just yeah, just some just some poor. Well, I wouldn't say lucky batting because, it, you know, hits our hits um but just just singles that were just that fell in unlucky places i guess i should say yeah um, definitely and and that just kind of Ju- julian again julian again just yeah. we're seeing the struggles defensively and i with jorge polanco unavailable he's going to be starting every day most times that's going to be at second base yeah but he's getting replaced in the late innings every single game because of those miscues and right. so it 
it's kind of a sink or swim a little bit with him where offensively he's been arguably the twins best, most consistent hitter since mm-hmm. he'd been yeah. called back up, but the defensive stuff, you know, when you're already struggling to score every run counts again. And so there, there's the trade off there. But I think at the end of the day, yeah, I'd love for Julian to make those plays, but more than that, you would love for the offense to score more than two runs against the Tigers. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's, you know, unfortunate here because I think this has been a symptom of just the twins in that, when you get a lot of guys who, you know, just get outs, you know, whether that's through a strikeout or ground outs, um, you don't get guys on bases. And then when your good hitters come up, like they did in this game with Correa and Gallo and they hit homers, it's just solo homers. You're not just doing yeah. any, you're not yeah. doing enough damage essentially when, when you go for the long ball here. Um, and the, the annoying thing here was that the offense actually put together eight hits, which, you know, it's fine. It's not like elite, but it's enough where you should be able to have some guys on bases when you're, yep. you know, going and you're trying to hit uh, homers here. Um, but they just couldn't do anything when they were runner with, with runners in scoring position. I think we were zero four or something like that. Um, but it, yeah, it's just kind of frustrating because we have clearly the power. But like this game, the the six zero victory for Joe Ryan, right? Like all the homers there, just solo homers. Even that four one victory, I think Lewis was a solo homer. Kepler, I think, was a two run homer. Um, but it's just like, there's just no one on, we can't do anything when anyone's on base. Yeah. There, there's never really been, oh, we're stringing all this stuff together. We're putting up five runs in an inning, right? Not even saying putting up eight or nine, right? Yeah. Four or five is what you like to see. And the game one against the Tigers was one where they kind of started building that out. And then you get a bad, uh, strike three called Michael A. Taylor. It kind of kills the momentum mm-hmm. and you're in a bad spot now. And so, um, it's, yeah, it's been the lack of being able to string that together. Joey Gallo, especially. Aaron Gleeman tweeted this out today, uh, but he's hitting like 135 with men on base this year. Joey Gallo is always going to have a low batting average, but it just feels like every time he's up to bat, uh, he is – every time he's up to bat with men on, I, I don't really have a lot of faith that anything's good going to happen. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit more about Carlos Correa, but he's also struggled with runners on. He's yeah. He leads the league in double plays right now. Yep. So mm-hmm. um, that – you know. Put those two together it's not a good sign right yeah i was i was going to mention that but yeah we're, we'll talk about that in a little bit too but it, it is frustrating to see that this team just can't do stuff with runners in scoring position i mean obviously a lot's been made about how they can't do anything with the bases loaded um that they they also can't do stuff with you know a guy at second or you know yeah. something like it's even like a, a man on first with one out right i have no faith anything that that guy's going to go anywhere past second base right you know? exactly yeah and you'd like to think that you know maybe an average league, you know, baseball team would be able to do something there, but <laughs> nope, that's not the case here. Yeah. Um. Well, of course, I mean, we don't want to crap too much on the loss because that was the one loss of the, the series. They did finish out the series with a 6-3 win. Bailey Ober was a starting pitcher with six innings, five hits, three earned runs, one walk, and eight strikeouts. Really good Ober outing here. Um, the main thing him with him is just his pitch separation, right? Fastball's up, change up and sliders down. Changeable home was getting six whips. Good for him getting those eight strikeouts. Um, did give up three runs in the third. Uh, I think all of them were like, there was like a single and then a, and a double. Um, but it was able to regroup and finish out the start, which yeah. is good for him. Um, basically, one bad inning and five really good ones. Yeah, this this is what you expect from Bailey Ober, right? He's going to give up some runs, but pretty much every time he's out there, he's going to give you a quality start. Uh, and so that he, you always have a chance to win with Bailey Ober, which you know compared to Louis Varland, where he looked like he was maybe going to be that type of pitcher, but kind of mm-hmm. people started to figure him out a little bit more. He was struggling more with his location. Bailey Ober has just been the model of consistency. Yeah, uh, with the bats here. 
Donovan Solano had a two-run homer to the third. Uh, one, I think, interesting tidbit here, which uh, I don't know if they talked about this on the TV broadcast. I was listening over radio. Um, but they were talking about Vasquez's kind of veteran presence and understanding how to base run well. Because in this in this specific inning, in the third inning, um, Vasquez got on base, and then there were two flyouts, and he was able to advance on both of those. Uh, basically just being aware of like, okay, got to tag up and, 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 and run. Obviously then Solano hit a homer. So it didn't really matter that Vasquez was on third, but it was, you know, good to see at least like kind of a you know veteran move from him able yeah. to run the base as well, despite, you know, there being two immediate outs afterwards. Yeah. I mean, more than advancing from second to third on a fly ball, cause that happens all the time. I was shocked. Everybody was shocked when he advanced from first yeah, to the second, first and second on, one on was a fly impressive. ball because yeah. even like the fastest guys in the league don't do that. Cause it's pretty risky. And honestly, if I'm Christian Vasquez, I probably wouldn't do that again, yeah. but uh, you know, it was hit really deep out to center uh, in that deep park that they have in Comerica and Detroit. Right. And so, uh, you know, it, it was worth the risk. He barely beat in the tag and it ended up not mattering, but those are the types of things where you're struggling to score, right. take that extra base, see if you can uh, get to third. Cause that way you don't even need a hit. Uh, you need an error, a ground ball, yeah. uh pass ball. And all of a sudden you got to run. Right. It, it, it's kind of interesting in contrast because Royce Lewis is in a similar situation. Um, I think either the next inning or the inning after that, where he was on first, there was a deep fly out to, to right, I believe. Um, but he was in the middle. He was between first and second, so he, he didn't. He wasn't able to tag up. And Royce Lewis is much faster than Christian Vasquez. Now, maybe you don't want to take risks here, right? Um, but at the same time, it's I don't know. Yeah. It's it's interesting to see Vasquez doing something like that um, and understanding yeah. like when he should be running. Well, and it's a risk and reward both ways. The Vasquez is. Uh, it was a ball that Michael A. Taylor hit. It was very clearly going to be caught by the center fielder. Yeah. I think what you're taught in baseball, right, is when you hit it to the outfield like that. If you don't know if it's going to be caught, you kind of sit in the middle so that totally. if the ball yep. does fall, you can mm-hmm. take as many bases as you can. If you're sitting back at first, you're holding up the guy behind you and you're not going to get to third right. or home like you maybe should if it falls in the gap. And so, um, you know, it's it, it's push and pull. You got to you got to trust that the base coaches and the players know what they're doing. Yeah, sometimes the base coach is a little confusing. <laughs> Turbo Tommy over there. <laughs> I, I think half the time, any any fun highlight with Tommy Watkins is him putting up a, a stop sign and then players running through it, or <laughs> or um, or him waving someone and then like they get thrown out at home. So you know. Oh, <laughs> Just, speaking of which, I thought for sure Correa was going to be out. Uh, dude, that, when, okay, when so <laughs> yeah, well, well, let's talk about that because, um, in they tied up in the eighth thanks to the throwing error, right? That's how they got yeah. to three three. And then they get to extra innings and Correa gets on base with a double, right? Royce Lewis uh, hits. A no, sink. This was the 10th. So he was just starting on. on oh, second. that's right. So yeah, the yeah. runner. That's right. Um, Royce Lewis hits uh, a grounder basically right over to the the third baseman. It, I think Nick Madden was with the third baseman. Yeah. Bounces off his glove, dribbles into short, left. short left, very, like slow very left. short left, yeah. you know? Uh, and at that point, I think Correa hadn't even reached third yet. Right. And Watkins is just waving him. Like, he sees the ball dribble, he's just go, right? And I I honestly think what happened here, and feel free to, if you have a different opinion, I think Raul Ibanez, who or uh, Rafael Ibanez? Ibanez, let's just say, who's yeah. the, the left fielder for Detroit, saw Correa running and rushed his throw just a tiny bit because it brought the catcher off home plate just like ever so slightly. Mm-hmm. Correa's rounding third. He's taking a pretty wide path as well. 
and slides in. And you can see the catcher actually, had he fielded that throw like well, I think he would have gotten the tag. Yeah, but it well, it popped out of his glove just enough where he lost control of it and then wasn't able to play the put the tag on. Yeah, no, a good a better throw would have had him even if the catcher was able to kind of more cleanly get the hop and bring it down. I think mm-hmm. they would have had him. But just looking at the beginning of the play, so since it's to the third baseman, it kind of bounces off his glove. Correa is holding it second yeah. because he's waiting to see if it gets through or not. He sees it gets through. He kind of he's not full speed running. You know, he's a big guy. It takes a little bit for him to get going. And then mm-hmm. he sees Tommy Watkins waving him, and like you see him pick up to the next gear and really speed up. But between it. I, it was a bad send. I don't think they should have sent him. It worked out. It was fine. <laughs> yeah. But Tommy Watkins, if there were like grades for how well third base coaches do, uh-huh. I, I obviously don't watch any team nearly as much as I watch the Twins. Right. But I would imagine Tommy Watkins has got to be towards the bottom. <laughs> like the, between some holds that he's made, some uh, some sends that he's made, less yeah. so this year than last year. But it's just it's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it. I mean, it's it's kind of, it is kind of funny how at least it worked out, right? Like, I think, yeah, I think that, like, so we said, like, you really as the third base coach, or really just as any third or first base coach, you just don't want to be noticed too much, right? Um, this isn't, and this isn't Willie Castro or Michael A. Taylor. This is Carlos Correa, right? He's yeah. a great baseball player. He's not that fast, no. And so, yeah, yeah, I, they got lucky. It ended up not mattering anyway because they got a couple more runs. Exactly. Time, yeah, Willie Castro and Christian Vasquez, of course. Christian Vasquez uh, added on some RBI singles to give the twins ultimately a six, three lead in the 10th. Um, and um, honestly, really solid work from the relievers to not let any more runs in after um, yeah. that, that third inning from Ober. Um, Jacks came in the ninth to, uh, to kind of clean it up a little bit. And then Duran eventually got the save in the 10th. So um, yeah, good on the twins to kind of wrap up a, a series against a division rival. Um, the Tigers are one of those teams where, like you mentioned, they aren't very good. Like they have a, what, a 150 hitter, right? You said? Uh, yeah, I think, batting... I think it's Maton who's yeah, hitting Maton, fifth yeah. in their lineup pretty right, regularly. Exactly. Um, it just isn't pretty. Uh, but, you know, they were in second in the AL Central for, for a little bit. Um, whatever that really means. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. So, yeah, at, at least, you know, I think getting salvaging this week, especially after the debacle of the week before, um, you know, it, it was kind of funny. The When the Red Sox series ended, it meant that they finished at the homestand 5-5, which, like, you usually like to have, you know, a winning record on, on at home. But when you're in the AL Central, it, it doesn't really matter all that much. <laughs> Yeah, I also want to give a specific shout out in the bullpen to uh, Brock Stewart because, yeah. man, where would we be without Brock Stewart this year? Like, I know. He has been so reliable, so solid. Uh, he's under team control, I think, for the next four seasons still. He's 31, so who knows if he'll make it all four of those seasons. But um, he's just come in here and been probably the second, maybe the third best reliever in the bullpen outside of Duran and occasionally Jax. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, he, he's been a huge addition and, in my opinion, is the exact reason why you don't trade prospects for relievers, not real prospects, because something like Jorge Lopez can happen so easily. Relievers are so fickle. Uh, I, I'm very much of the belief that you create your relievers if in the middle of the season there's someone like Michael Fulmer who can get for basically nothing. Great, definitely do that. Mm-hmm. But giving up real prospect capital for relievers is, is a really tough sell. Well, and with Stewart too, he was he was a signing because yeah, he, he had been exactly. in the in the Dodgers organization, um, and that eventually kind of did too much too much. We picked him up in the offseason. 
Um, and he's been a revelation. Like his stuff is legit. Like he's yeah. not like surviving. Like he's actually doing really well in these spots. Yeah. The, there was a lot of, I think, complaints over the offseason about their lack of spending on the bullpen. They really need another arm or two. And that's still probably true. Yes. But it's easy to see the logic when you're consistently churning out guys like uh, Stewart and Jax. And, um, you know, a few years ago, right, you can throw in Matt Whistler to that group. Mm-hmm. Just these guys that you keep creating and turning them into good uh, relief arms. It's happening with more guys at St. Paul right now too. Uh, Patrick Murphy, I think has an ERA under two. Uh, there's Andrew Bechtold, who was a third baseman prior to this year, who they're like, hey, you got something here. Let's see if we can throw you out of the bullpen. And he comes in, in you throw him 98 uh, and has a good slider on top of it. And so you you don't need to spend prospect capital on relievers. If you're going to spend money on relievers, that's one thing. That's totally mm-hmm. fine. But prospect capital, that's where you really don't, especially for a team that's been as talented at developing pitchers as the twins have been yeah i mean in terms of high leverage situations this season brock stewart um is third among relievers um he's three innings behind griffin jack so uh three batters face behind griffin jack so to speak but his era is lights out better than griffin jack's Um, he actually has the lowest era among the team like um in terms of uh performance in high leverage situations if you don't count out uh, Caleb Thielbar facing 12 batters and then obviously getting getting hurt. So, right. um, yeah, Stewart's been been phenomenal and uh, uh, he's been a good replacement essentially for Jorge, Jorge Lopez. That's kind of been his that's kind of been his role this season. And um, yeah, it's good. Good to see. Definitely. Two things we want to talk about. First, let's talk about the offense. The offense is still bad. And I think at this point, it's time that we just accept that they're probably bad. They're probably not going to be good. Carlos Correa, I think, could be a little better. Byron Buxton, this is always the type of hitter he's been where it's been up and down, and the ups are going to look great, and the downs are going to look terrible. Uh, but, but let's give you some uh, some perspective for just how bad they've been. Uh, Donovan Solano leads the team in offensive win probability added, who was a $2 million signing after training camp had started. Uh, Willie Castro was not on the roster to start the season, and he leads the team in wins above replacement offensively. Jeffers is second uh, in wins above replacement offensively. Now, the flip side of this is that the pitching has been great, right? On their war leaderboards, Sonny Gray one, Joe Ryan two, Bailey Ober three, Duran is fifth behind Castro, and then you have Brock Stewart. And so, again, the pitching has been really, really good. But offensively, when you're being led in these, uh, you know, collective value stats by Donovan Solano, Willie Castro, and Ryan Jeffers, Mm -hmm. you know something's gone very, very wrong. I think there's still a good chance that they could turn things around. The season is so long. Guys can have completely different second halves from first halves. We saw that a lot with Correa last year where he was solid in the first half and then phenomenal in the second half. But I, I think we maybe just have to accept that this is the type of team they are where the pitching is incredible top three type of pitching rotation and the offense it's very hit or miss um john what what have you seen from the offense that gives you sign for hope or not hope i mean okay i mean like i think the two things that i want to point out which one thing i already mentioned i think hitting only solo homers basically is has been incredibly frustrating right because the flip side is that that they just can't do anything with runners on it's on base in general, like yeah. not even in scoring position on base, right? Like I was looking look, looking at some of these stats when when there's a runner on base, right? We're not even saying on on second, like just a guy at first. Um, 
their average is, I believe, fifth lowest. Yeah, fifth lowest in the league, right? And they're slugging, right? So their ability to get extra base hits is somehow 409, which I think is kind of hilarious um, in the sense <laughs> that, like, it's not, it, it's like league average, essentially. Right. But, like, when they hit, this is, like, the frustrating thing where, like, they have these innings where they score, like, five, six runs, which is great. But then on the flip side, like, I think, like, the other 40 to 60% of the time, like, the majority of the time, essentially, they do nothing else, right? Right. I mean, even even in the same game, they'll have one inning where they score all their runs and will have no competitive at-bats the rest of the way. Right. And I think the the other frustrating thing about this in, in, um, is the whole grounded into double plays thing, right? Yeah. Like Correa, I think, grounded into two double plays just this game, this Sunday yep. game. He, Like you mentioned, he currently is tied for the league lead with 11. Of course, the names that are that, around that's him. That's before today. He's that's at true. Yes. Now. Yeah, exactly. So now he's at 13. Um, the, the funny thing here is like the names around him are kind of they're kind of interesting. Like Vlad Guerrero Jr. is having a really off year this year. He's he's tied with Correa or was tied with Correa for yeah. the league. Um, Alex Bregman, who's down in Houston, um, he's having a terrible year actually this year, but he's got 10. George Springer, who's, you know, one of the better hitters for Toronto is at 10. Uh, like there, there's a bunch of these guys who we think are good hitters who just grounded the double play. So sometimes it's not necessarily a, an indicative of success, but it also is like he he isn't really doing that great when he doesn't ground in the double plays, right? He's right. not necessarily getting RBIs. Um, he's not doing too much with, um, you know, as a team in general, they're not doing too much with, with batters on base. Well, and the crazy, the crazy part is you say all that. And I agree with everything you're saying. He's probably still the most reliable hitter in the twins. Well, line. he leads the league. He leads the team in RBIs, right? Yeah. He exactly. is our offense still. That's the funniest part. Like he, he's doing poorly in some of these aspects. And then yet he's still our, our best hitter in terms of, I think average, I think he's our yeah. best hitter by average and uh, best hitter by offensive output. For qual- for qualified batters, I'm almost positive that's correct. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, uh, Matt Walner is still technically, I think, of the team. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Matt Walner, Julian, Royce Lewis, who all don't have very many at-bats. Right. So. so I think that that's really interesting. I think the other maybe thing that maybe makes me more pessimistic is that their BABIP is around league average. So they're not yeah. necessarily getting unlucky. And then their WRC plus is like smack dab at ninety nine, which means they're just they're just average. They're literally so, average. So, so that that all means that like this team is just average. And yeah. I think that's, I think we like to think that we're you know a, a contending team because you know we we're fighting for the division title and usually good teams are fighting for division titles. But when you're in the AL Central, you don't need to be a good team. You just need to be an average team. Yeah. So when you're looking at the offensive performance, it, it has to start with Correa and Buxton. They're yeah. the big guys. They're the guys who are hitting in the middle every single game. And they just haven't been as good as they need to be. And there's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Yep. But everything around them has been worse, right? It pretty much everybody in on the team who was on the team last year, other than Ryan Jeffers, has taken a pretty big step back offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, and it speaks to a bigger problem with the Twins of their complete lack of development for any offensive prospect whatsoever. Um, you can go back and look at, you know, their top 30 prospects since Falvey took over 2016, I believe. Um, there's not really anybody who has outperformed their prospect pedigree except for like Spencer Steer, who is not on the twins anymore. Yeah. And so there's just, you don't have any, when you don't have a single batter, right? Alex Kirloff is hitting 197, 264, 303 in June. This is exactly the concern that you had about Kirloff with the wrist, where he had a few good 
uh, weeks to get started. He was walking a little bit more. Now he's not walking anymore. He can't drive the ball at all. Uh, we're never really going to hear if it's the wrist related or not, but he just simply has not been a good hitter since he's had that wrist injuries. Royce Lewis has a good line. He's looking a little bit better, but his batted ball data is pretty discouraging. Um, he's not really ranking very high and hard hit rate, uh, barrel rate, anything like that. And so you know, maybe he's getting lucky. Maybe this is the type of hitter he's going to be as a big leader, leaguer. But um, you know that is kind of a little disappointing. But then look at guys like Trevor Larnick. You look at Jose Miranda, right? All these guys who, you if you want to be a successful team, you have to have that internal development, and they've had absolutely none offensively from Falvey. Now, to be fair, the flip side on the pitching, they have so many guys who have outperformed their prospect pedigree, right? Not the least, least of which being Bailey Ober who was a non-prospect and is now probably the Twins' third best starting pitcher mm-hmm. uh, and deserves that. Louis Varland, you know, before those rough starts, looked really good. Uh, we already talked about the bullpen and all the pitching development they went there. I mean, you can also – we didn't talk about Caleb Thielbar. Caleb Thielbar was out of affiliated ball and became one of the Twins' best relievers. And so you have to give him credit for the pitching, and that is why they brought Falvey in. They brought him in from Cleveland because that's what Cleveland does better than anybody else, and they've done that. The offensive side has just turned into absolutely nothing. They've turned themselves into Cleveland, basically, where they can pump out pitchers, uh, maybe not to the high ceiling level Cleveland has, but they're producing them, and they cannot develop anybody offensively. Yeah, I. it's it's weird because you look at Royce Lewis and the, the drop-off in, in just being able to hit the ball hard yeah. is pretty significant um, to the point where, yeah, you kind of wonder – is this a is this a risk thing or is he just you know not doing well in terms of yeah being able to generate is this is just as a bad stretch right because actually when you when he was here in ape in may sorry um like he, he was generating a lot of walks he was getting on base um he's still like pretty decent in terms of obp numbers but that's because of the, the good may yeah the, and i don't know if this it Maybe this is a, a, a organizational thing, because um, the, even the batting strategy just hasn't been that great, right? Like we, we've kind of mentioned how this year has turned into like the Twins are becoming like a a a, um, a three true outcomes sort of team, where they're kind of content to either strike out, uh, generate a walk, or uh, or hit a homer, right? Yeah. That's kind of, they're, they're kind of shooting for the moon every single time. And I think there's validity to that statement in the sense that, like, if you only hit like a double, for example, right? Like, that doesn't get you a run. A homer gets you a run. Right. Um, but then we get into this situation then where you have all these solo homers because no one's getting on base prior yeah. to the guy going for, going for the, the, the big, uh, the big shot. So, Ah, uh, yeah. To me, I'm I'm kind of annoyed by that strategy. Like, I am I am of the mind that like an out is an out, whether it's a strikeout or or a flyout. But in my opinion, just getting more balls into play where you can get runners on base, like even yeah. if you even if the team sucks with runners in scoring position, the more opportunities you have with runners in scoring position, you know, it doesn't matter how low your average is, you're still going to be able to get runs yeah. in some respects, and it's. It's infuriating to see because I think just a couple of years ago, I don't want to put too much, um, I don't want to put too much stock into the Bomba Squad because we all know how good the Rabbit Ball was for the Twins and yeah. yada yada yada. But I think that that still is kind of like a 
organizational memory where they're like, Hey, like we, we have the league record for homers. Like we can get back to being that team. Yeah. Like, and I just don't think that's the right way to approach it at this point. Well, and to me, again, I think it's a little bit of an approach thing. And I think it's also a development thing because if you look at the St. Paul saints, they have so many guys that are hitting above 300, right? Mm-hmm. Larnick, when he's down there, hits great. Walner hits great. Kirilov hits great when he's down there. Royce Lewis hit great when he was down there. Yeah. Um, they have Andrew Stevenson, who's hitting like 332 or something like that, right? And so clearly, whatever they're doing is working at AAA, but it's not translating again when they get to the major leagues. And so that's where I get really discouraged development-wise, uh, where you know there's still time for guys like Miranda or Julian or Walner uh, to figure stuff out. But for Kirloff and Larnick, who are the two that you were really counting on to hit in the middle of this lineup, this is it. They're out of options after this year, both of them. And so um, either they're going to be on the team next year or they're not. And if you know they have to go through waivers, there's some bad team that'll pick them up just to give them a shot based off of their previous pro- prospect pedigree. And so the fact that Kirilov just has not really shown any lift or drive on the ball when he's had at bats. That's the part to me that is concerning or that Larnick still can't hit breaking balls three years in. And so if that's going to be the case, then that's how you end up in this spot where the twins are one of the best pitching teams and one of the worst hitting teams. And so they average out to be this average team that is lucky enough to play in a horrible division. Yeah, I, Looking at Kirilov's stats, it's just kind of mind-blowing. Like, he, his bell rate basically decreased by half. Um, but then you look at, like, where how he's hitting the ball, it's it's actually pretty consistent. Like, his ground ball rate hasn't increased by a ton. His fly ball rate's definitely gone down by a bit, but I think in favor of his line drive rate going up, um, which is generally a good thing. It's just yeah. that he's not hitting the ball hard enough to, I don't know, get it over the fence, hit the wall, something like yeah. that. You know, just get a hit in general. Um, it's yeah, that like that average you see, right? Two right now, his season average is 257 with a 365 OBP. Um, but like you said, June's been really terrible for yeah, him 197, all, 264. Yeah, you know, all those numbers have been down. And I, I don't know if that's maybe him like pressing a little bit, thinking that he needs to hit more, like instead of generating more walks. I, I don't know, that, that might be a strategy thing, but yeah. um. It, it is, yeah, it's frustrating to see. I, I think, in my opinion, both these guys are still going to be on, on the team next year. I don't think the team's, like, you know, close to, you know, giving up on them or anything like that. There, there's definitely the total adjustment period, period where Kirloff is currently 44 games of this season with that reconstructed wrist. Yeah. Like, he, he's still kind of getting used to it, so to speak. Um, and Lewis, I think for him, yeah, he's, he's basically, other than, what, 10 games last year? He's basically been out of baseball for two years. Yeah, it's um, hard to make any conclusions on anything Royce Lewis. Based. Exactly. So I, I think this is like a good thing to revisit in August or yeah. even September, end of season sort of thing, and see just where these guys are at. Um, but like you mentioned, there's still stuff problems in AAA. Miranda's not hitting. Larnick is breaking, but we don't know if he's if it's just because AAA pitchers are just throwing fastballs to him. Right. Like we don't know if we called up Larnick tomorrow and had him replace Kepler if he would be any better because all of a sudden major league pitchers are just only throwing sliders and curveballs at him. Yeah. Well, that kind of, that brings me to the second point that I have here that I want to hit, which is, is it worth it to trade any more prospects or young players for bats? Right. I think 
if there's anything they're going to trade for at the deadline, it'll be a bat. The problem is, is that the trade deadline stuff is more expensive than it's ever been because there's so many more teams that think they're in it with the expanded playoffs. Right. Or because the AL and NL Central are pretty awful, right? And so a team like the Cardinals or the White Sox, who in a normal year would probably be completely out of it and willing to sell, well, they're both playing in terrible divisions, and so maybe they're not. Um, And so if you're only shopping players from the Royals and the A's and the Nationals, one, there's not that many players you want from those teams anyway. Two, the ones that you would want are going to drive a high price because there's so many people that would want to trade for them. Right. Like, So what what are your thoughts on – trade deadline strategy as we get a little closer to it yeah to me i don't know if there's anyone that i would pick up to replace Kirloff at first or royce at third right right like those spots if you're a good player them they're just at a premium right like i'm as much as i love nolan arenado i'm not trading like a royce lewis and a couple more prospects for him yeah. right well That's and just, the twins aren't going to pay that salary so well that too um at first base, who are you going to get? Like Christian Walker from the Diamondbacks? Like they're they're doing fine in their race. They're not trading him. Right, exactly. CJ Crone's hurt. I don't think he wants to return to Minnesota anyways. Um, like who legitimately, like who can you get at this point? And yeah. I think to me, we're better served by trading for relievers or maybe getting some better right-handed bats. Like that, I right. think that's that's probably where I'm targeting, like a, a right-handed outfielder. I mean, we just DFA'd, well, I guess technically DFA'd Kyle Garlic, but I think he's going to stay in the organization. Yeah, he, he already did. He already, he already did. Delivers. Yeah, so there you go. So, I, like, if we could get maybe another solid right-handed bat, and I mean, we already got some good ones, right? Royce Lewis, obviously. Carlos Correa, um, Bucks in. But I, today, you know, they were, t- they were talking about, like, the only two options off the bat when Gallo came up to bat, and I think, like, for the third time around, um, and the Tigers brought in the left-handed reliever was Buxton, who was dealing with back spasms from the day before, and uh, Ryan Jeffers, who obviously you, you don't want to replace him because right. you have to move him to catcher and you're taking another right-handed bat out of the lineup. Like Getting right-handed bench bats to me is probably more important right now than trying to get like a marquee first or third baseman. See, I, I kind of go the opposite direction, which is what's the point of bringing in another bench guy who's probably not going to be that helpful. They have mm-hmm. their whole team is full of bench guys that aren't that helpful. And so my thought would be, if you're going to make a trade like that, you, you swing for somebody who's going to be in the middle of your lineup every day. Uh, and so I, I was working on this a couple of weeks ago and I've kind of rethought the whole thing with where the twins are at. But if you're looking at, just any bat. I don't even care about position because you need somebody on the team that can hit something. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, it's, you know, guys that could potentially be available. Jorge Soler, but now the Marlins have gone on a winning streak. They're back in the playoff race. Are they going to want to trade Jorge Soler? Mm-hmm. It's uh, Michael Conforto with the Giants. Same thing. Do the Giants even want to trade Conforto at this point because they've just won 10 in a row and are back in the playoff race? Uh, Aloy Jimenez for the White Sox who can't stay healthy and is better served as DH. Well, that sounds like Byron Buxton. There's no space for him on the team. And yep. so there, there's so few options, like you were saying before, that it's hard to find anything unless it's a situation where maybe you're trading, you know, a strength from your team for a strength for another that, uh, you know, they just need something to shake it up. So something like the Cardinals, they really need pitching. If the Twins were willing to pay the rest of Paul Goldschmidt's salary, could you do like Goldschmidt for Varland, right? Varland I mean, I do that on Something else, right? right? <laughs> exactly. But something like that, similar 
basically similar to what the Cardinals did last year where they got Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader. You trade a strength for a strength, both two playoff teams, something like that. I think if the Twins were going to make a move, that's probably where it would have to be because at the trade deadline, I don't think there's many – teams they're going to trade good players for prospects right if we i mean if we get paul goldschmidt i'm signing off on that yesterday you know like but and if the, if the price is varlin plus like a couple other top 30 prospects yeah i'll do that but right the reality is some guy like goldschmidt is just likely not going to be available um unless the cardinals continue to run their team in the ground which then you know hey i'll do it um, exactly so, yeah. i think he's in the last year of his contract um, so that's the other reason if they were going to sell, mm-hmm. maybe you could just get it done with Varland, right? Where clearly Gar- Paul Goldschmidt, even now older is still a much better value than Louis Varland, yes. but you'd be basically renting him for the last couple months and then maybe resigning him. Right. Anyway, that that's kind of, I think where I'm at with the trade deadline, it strikes me a little bit similar to 2017 where, but but in reverse, where 2017, the Twins were a little bit ahead of schedule. Mm-hmm. That was the year they – was it 2017 or 2015 that they picked up Jaime Garcia? Um, oh, it was uh, like when he when he was on the team for one yeah. start. I think that was 2017. Yeah, it, whichever one it was. But it's basically the Twins picked him up. They lost a couple games. He made one start, and then they traded him back away. Basically, they did nothing at the deadline because – uh, of that trade and then trade out that they did. And so it strikes me similar as that year where because the division is so average, because they are so average, you're probably better off just sitting on what you have, like you were saying, and seeing if Kirloff or Larnick or Walner or Royce Lewis turns into something that you can count on long-term because whatever you pick up, it's probably not going to be that good anyway. And the team isn't good enough to prove that you deserve to give up something for a short-term gain. Yeah. I, I also think that, in some sense, garlic, not garlic, sorry. Uh, we're in a similar situation in 2017 too, where you have guys like um, uh, Kepler, Jorge Polanco, guys who are like on team options for the next couple of years yeah. and could be off a team. It's like you have these prospects who could probably play as good as them. Um, are you, do you want to go for the run, right? Like you mentioned, or are you willing to wait on these prospects to kind of mature? Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll see what the twins do here. I, I I could honestly see it going either way. I think more likely than not, they pick up a small bullpen arm like Michael Fulmer last year that they don't have to give up much for. And that's pretty much the only move they make. All right. So last thing here, before we wrap up uh, our weekly injury update, the medical center that should be sponsored by some hospital at some point, Uh, Byron (laughs) Buxton, as always. So two things with him. The first is that he tweaked his back in the game against the Tigers yesterday. He was out of the lineup today, though he did pinch hit. Uh, So it looks like he's going to avoid the injured list, but you never want Byron to have more injuries that he's dealing with. Uh, So that's always a little bit concerning. Um, the other thing was Rocco Baldelli in his pregame press the other day also made it very clear that Byron Buxton will not be playing center field at any point this year, yeah. most likely, like you and I have been saying pretty much since the first week of the season. Right. It's it's unfortunate because, like, man, I, there's a lot of things I could say. I'm sure a lot of fans are disappointed or frustrated about this. Honestly, I'm just glad he's clearing the air and just saying, like, just don't expect him there. Yeah. Like let let's just let's just if he's there, it's because we somehow found a miracle drug for his knee. 
but right. otherwise just don't expect expect him to DH all year. And I think that helps us set our expectations on what the lineup for this team is going to look like. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the other thing Rocco said is that he's basically treading water as is, which again, goes back to what I was saying a month or so ago where I'm like, I don't like when Byron Buxton hits singles or takes walks. Cause I don't want to see him on the base paths. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's kind of what I was getting at, which is he's just laboring out there. Like it, it he's, He's in pain. He's in discomfort, and you can tell when he's uh, on the field. He did look good on that double, though. That they hit. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next one. This one is. Uh, this one was pretty rough to watch on the broadcast. Uh, Jose De Leon. He blew out his elbow while he was warming up the other day. The Twins don't have an official diagnosis on it, from what I hear. Basically, it's too swollen up right now to get imaging. But. Uh, Based off of that, it sounds like he's going to be out of the year. He, he was warming up and he just saw, uh, he threw a pitch, his arm just shooting with pain. He said, you saw him kind of run immediately to the dugout. His arm went limp. He was just holding it at his side. Uh, it, it was a pretty, pretty uh, rough one to watch. And yeah, DeLeon had been honestly like pretty solid. Like he was yeah. still like a middle low leverage reliever. Like they weren't necessarily putting out in the, in the high leverage spots, but he did well in, in the situations that he he got put in. Um, obviously, the big thing for him was when he uh, showcased a little bit of the little extra stuff in the WBC and yeah. uh, had a no hitter going through six innings. But um, yeah, it's it it's tough, and obviously, it makes this bullpen yeah. like even more um, even weaker, and just yeah, just it, relying on other guys who who probably shouldn't be in the in 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 this bullpen. Yeah, if you're looking at the bullpen hierarchy, right? Like he, he very clearly was not in the Stewart Jacks range, but he had moved above Emilio Pagan and Jorge Lopez, uh, and he had been out there in a few like higher leverage situations. Mm-hmm. It's just it's tough to see for a guy who was very promising as a prospect, but just has never been healthy in the big yeah. leagues. Um, where he looked like this year he was maybe finally going to have you know some consistent outings and then this happens and yeah most likely he'll be, he'll be done for the year unfortunately uh one, one thing i want to note here is that i think it might be good to look at making jordan balzovic a short-term arm a sh- you know kind of more late inning option mm-hmm. he did really really well in that role when he was first starting this season with saint paul uh since he's moved to the starter slash multi-inning reliever that the twins like to do in saint paul and minnesota and swapping him back and forth he hasn't looked as sharp and so it just might be a necessity at this point on top of, you know, he has pretty good stuff and his issue has always been control, especially last year when he was uh, looking pretty bad. But when you're pitching one or two innings out of the bullpen, that's not as big of a deal. Um, so maybe he'll he'll have a little bit more of a shot to stick around on the team. Yeah, uh, currently, I think he's penciled in as a long reliever on roster resource, but um, that could obviously change. Yeah. And they still have Brent Hedrick on the roster too. So, you know, do you need two long guys, maybe three if you kind of Emilio Pagan? That's that's a tough situation to put your bullpen in. Yeah. Or do you need Brent um, Hedrick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also related to the bullpen, Jorge Lopez was placed on the mental health injured list. Uh, that's a 15-day injured list. And he said that he plans on being back when that's over. Uh, he said it was mostly driven by the twins, but that he's really appreciated the break. He had, you know, kind of talked about how he wasn't feeling like himself. He was being very irritated, getting very angry. And so, uh, you know, good for him. Obviously we hope nothing but the best for Jorge and maybe just a little bit of time off sometimes for someone with as good as stuff as he has can just be a good reset to, uh, get your head in the right space and hopefully start performing back like the guy we saw in April. Yeah. And if you remember Jorge Lopez's kind of, 
history. Like he started out as a starter and yeah. was super rocky there. I don't know if he ever officially had the yips, but basically he was not great as a starter. Orioles converted him to a reliever. Obviously had a great season, first half of the season last year. Fell apart a little bit once he got traded to the Twins. So, yeah, hopefully just a mental yeah. reset is, is good for him. Yeah, and the good news with him, too, is his struggles, they're all location-based, right? The stuff is still there. The velocity is still there. Yep. It's just entirely – he's throwing them right down the middle. And so if he can – you know, I, I think something like that is really where just a mental break, not having to worry about it, not having to think about it, not having to stress yourself out about putting your team in that situation could really help him out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we hope nothing but the best for Jorge, and hopefully he gets uh, things turned around. So looking ahead to next week really quick, the Twins have three at Atlanta, like we talked about before, and then three at Baltimore, which might not be much better given how good the Orioles have been this year. Uh, there is a legitimate chance we come back on this podcast next week and the Twins are 0-6. So. Thank you for reverse jinxing the Twins. We're going to be 6 <laughs> Exactly. Uh, against the Braves, they're scheduled to face uh, Spencer Strider, Bryce Elder, and Colton smith Shaver. Uh, Spencer Strider has probably some of the best stuff in the game, but he's been struggling a lot with his uh, control recently. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Bryce Elder is the exact opposite. He has horrible stuff and is outperforming every single metric about him. Colton smith Shaver is 20 and has made like two starts. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Uh, and like I mentioned before, we'll see what happens with Kenta, Joe Ryan, if they decide to throw in a bullpen game or if they pump it back. Uh, against the Orioles, they'll face uh, former twin Kyle Gibson and former Twins prospect Tyler Wells, who's been very good for Baltimore this year. Uh, so it'll be uh, good to see a couple of uh, friendly fra- faces around the ballpark. Yeah, I'm a little conflicted here because I have Bryce Elder on one of my fantasy teams and then um... – <laughs> And then I have Tyler Wells on one of my fantasy teams. So no, that's good. Keep them. We've just been talking about how awful the uh, Twins' <laughs> right exactly. Is. So exactly, yeah. Um, I mean, Atlanta. They're believe they're leading the, yeah, they're leading the NL East right now by a, a pretty hefty margin. Um, they're six games above the Miami Marlins. Yes, those Miami Marlins. Um, and yeah, they're they're a dangerous team. Um, they have some. They've had some prospect growing pains this season, which is. Uh, not uncommon to what the Twins probably have been experiencing, but they're definitely like a top three offense in the league. Baltimore yeah. will be definitely interesting because that team, well, they're currently second in the AL East, which is pretty impressive. Um, but uh, I think we we kind of match up well against them. Um, but, oh, the other thing to note is uh, old friend Aaron Hicks is having ah, a, yes. a little bit of a career re- re- renaissance with, with Baltimore this year. <laughs> so that'll be a little fun to yeah, to see how he's doing. But I, I think we could maybe go three and three here. But yeah, it, it, the, uh, this is this is the hard part of the schedule. Definitely. The the Orioles are kind of the reverse twins in that they're out. The twins are underperforming everything. The, yes. Orioles are outperforming everything. Completely. That's not to say they don't have the talent. Like Adley Rutschman is legitimately like an MVP candidate type of player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but outside of him, they just don't really have a lot of that top line talent. Well, like you mentioned, we're facing Kyle Gibson. Yeah, and exactly. like, he's actually having like a pretty solid season by his standards. Um, and, and we're all well aware of how solid those seasons are. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I, I know the, the Baltimore, the big wall they built out there is yeah. helping uh, pitchers quite a bit too. Yes. So maybe which, that's a little bit, which, uh, you know, could also help the Twins because when you have Byron Buxton hitting 460-foot bombs, who cares how far the wall is back? That's true. Exactly. 
All right. Uh, well, be sure to check out uh, our work at Twinkie Town if you're interested in hearing a little bit more. Uh, we're covering all the games. We've got some good uh, comedy things that go up. The other thing I'll plug really quick is uh, Homage and Joe Ryan collabed with the Grateful Dead to drop a new T-shirt that I think is pretty cool. Uh, if you go over to Twinkie Town, you can uh, see the designs and kind of the story behind them and why they were made. Uh, and get yourself a T-shirt. I got myself one. I'm really excited. It's supposed to be here later this week. Uh, so be sure to check that out. And then you can also check out John at PitcherList for all of your fantasy baseball needs. John, other than picking pitchers the Twins are facing, <laughs> yeah. what's your fantasy tip for the week? Uh, Tommy Pham is kind of one of those outfielders you should be looking at if you if you need help there. And then uh, I'm going to keep banging the drum for Garrett Whitlock, even though when he faced us. Thankfully, he gave up four runs, so that was nice. Um, but uh, yeah, Garrett Whitlock is still going to be a pretty hot pitcher, in my opinion. Wow. There you go. All right, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow John at the John Ka and myself at Ben Jones underscore five. Uh, if you like what you heard, you can also follow us on Twitter at Twins Talk Pod for the entire pod, or uh, be sure to follow us on your podcast platform of choice as well. Uh, tell your friends, give us a five star review, and until next week, go Twins. Uh-huh.